one of the nurses came up to Justin and I and said, you know, one of my main jobs is to talk to people about the fact that they might only have a few years left and, you know, and what they might do, what, how they might best preserve function and kind of maintain their, maintain what they have. You know, when you guys announced positive data for one day in the clinic, all my conversations were about how ALS is changing and how it might be different. A myotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS, is a rare neurological disease that primarily affects the neurons responsible for voluntary muscle movement. The disease is progressive. While patients may initially experience mild symptoms, they eventually lose the ability to chew, walk, talk, and even breathe. The average life expectancy is just three to five years from symptom onset. With no known cure or effective treatment on the market, patients battling ALS are counting on the research community to develop novel therapies as quickly as possible. I'm Chris Garcia, and in this episode of Vital Science, Gina catches up with Josh Cohen and Justin Klee, CEOs of Amwellix Pharmaceuticals, to hear about the progress they've made with their groundbreaking ALS therapy. We'll discuss the company's recent clinical trial success, partially funded by the 2014 Ice Bucket Challenge, their moves to commercialize in the US, Canada, and Europe, and the role optimism has played in getting them to where they are today. Well, you were one of our first Vital Science podcast guests, and uh, you joined us for the Humble Beginnings episode, which was uh, held in early 2020, just before the pandemic. And um, as we take pause to reflect now, how much has changed since we last spoke? So it's been a busy uh, year and a half or so uh, since we last spoke. There's been a lot of developments at the company. Um, we've gone from, I think when we spoke, we were probably about a seven or eight person company. Um, we're now uh, just under 100 people. Um, so there's been a pretty rapid growth at the company. And also over that time, um, we've submitted for approval for the drug in Canada and in the um, United States. And we're working hard towards a submission um, in Europe as well. So, you know, I'd say the mission has very much stayed the same of trying to make a dent and change the lives of people with ALS and other neurodegenerative diseases. But um, we've been excited to bring a lot more people along um, on that mission as well. And, you know, hopefully that allows us to do even more. Can you tell us a little bit about the journey to get um, to that big a point of submitting for a new drug application or NDA to the FDA. I know that's a pretty significant milestone and uh, wondering what that involved for you. So I would say it's been a very exciting journey and one where I think we've, we've learned a lot as well. And I think one that uh, we hope has really united the ALS community as well. So in very late uh, 2019, uh, we announced uh, positive clinical trial results from our first major clinical trial in people with ALS, the Centaur trial. And about nine months later, uh, we published the results in the New England Journal of Medicine. And the trial, for the first time, showed a benefit on both the functional rating scale, so people retain their function longer. And then as we looked out over long term, people lived longer also. And in ALS, that's a huge deal 
considering that it's a rapid, progressive, fatal disease. So the question became, what's next? And we met with regulators globally, Health Canada, FDA, and the EMA. And the feedback was very encouraging. I think they recognized the tremendous unmet need in ALS. They recognized that the data should be uh, reviewed as a potential uh, new treatment option for people. And so we then had to set out to actually submit the, the documentation needed, which is no small task. So I think the first thing we did, which we're really proud of is, as Josh said, uh, we hired many people and really experienced people who believed in the mission uh, the way that we do. On the other side of a complex clinical trial, and with encouraging data in hand, AMX35 had passed several important checkpoints. However, one of the biggest hurdles was still ahead, submitting multiple new drug applications. Fortunately, Josh and Justin had hired a team of regulatory experts, led by Amelix's head of global regulatory affairs, Tammy Sarnelli, to complete the Herculean task of submitting documentation for an NDA in the United States, NDS in Canada, and upcoming MAA in Europe. Each regulatory body has its own distinct requirements for application, each requiring the submission of over a thousand meticulously formatted pages detailing the company's research to date. We'll leave that light reading to the experts, but let's hear from Josh and Justin with the Cliff Notes version of how this drug works in the body. Yeah, so the treatment uh, is a combination of uh, two small molecules and each molecule is uh, designed to target something that we think is uh, particularly uh, important in the neurodegenerative pathways. So particularly one small molecule targets endoplasmic reticulum stress and the unfolded protein response. We see in these diseases that there are many unfolded, misfolded, mislocalized proteins, and that's one of the main triggers for the cell to die. Further, the other small molecule targets mitochondrial uh, dysfunction. And we see that many of the canonical uh, death pathways in cells and particularly in neurons originate in the mitochondria. And so we thought it was important to target both of these organelle stress pathways because they are both key regulators of how neurons degenerate and die. And so the hope with the treatment was that while there are many insults and risk factors that lead to ALS or other neurodegenerative diseases, if we can slow, stop, prevent the neurodegeneration from occurring, then maybe we can have a meaningful therapy. And so through our preclinical development, we tested this combination in different ratios and doses to look at uh, the ability to uh, prevent or uh, slow the degenerative process. And, uh, and of course, we're, we're tremendously excited to see that the work translated into meaningful clinical differences as well. Wow, I'm sure it was exciting to see the effects from the lab translating into the clinical benefits for patients. So what did you discover in Centaur, your phase two multi-center clinical trial? Yeah, great question. So Centaur, we conducted between um, 2017 and the end of 2019. 
um, which was a large um, placebo-controlled study, or, or large for ALS at least, where we assessed patients over time, looked at their function, looked at their survival ultimately. And what we found, well, may, maybe I'll add to that um, this um, whole process of conducting a clinical trial for Justin and I was, you know, was our first time doing this. And so very much so as we were going along, it was made possible by the folks at uh, Mass General, um, Sabrina Paganoni and Marit Sakovich, who basically taught us how to run clinical trials. And together with them, you know, we conducted this. And pretty much late in 2019, we found ourselves late at night in a conference room, anxiously waiting on the results. Because, you know, I think a lot of people think that pharma companies, you know, somehow miraculously know the results in, the adv in advance, but it really is kind of one day, one moment, you find out and it's either good or it's bad. And so ultimately what we learned was that the drug uh, was able to extend function, able to extend survival. And on the safety side, we saw more gastrointestinal adverse events in the um, AMX35 treated arm. But aside from that, generally the safety events were at similar levels um, between active and placebo. Yeah, I, you I, just, add to that? I just had to smile when, when you were saying uh, one one day, one moment, because I think Josh and I will certainly never forget the, the moment because we didn't know it was almost midnight and it we had been working for most of our professional lives on up until this one moment. And fortunately, it worked. And I think what was particularly exciting, too, is the statistics group that we work with has been working in uh, neurodegenerative diseases for decades. And unfortunately, nothing's worked. And so for them, this is their first successful trial also. So that was certainly a moment we'll never forget. Well, it, it, was, it was funny, too. Bef before we actually saw the data, um, we got a good sense that it was positive. Because you could hear in the background of the statistician telling us the data, all the other statisticians cheering. <laughs> um, so <laughs> you oh, kind of wow. knew from this phone call that um, something good had happened. The success experience in this moment was particularly sweet given the series of challenges the team had experienced in getting there. Amalix began with a kernel of an idea in a Brown University dorm room in 2013. But Josh and Justin knew it wouldn't be an easy road to see that idea to fruition. In an area of research that's had its fair share of failed studies and failed drugs, generating funding would have proved to be a significant hurdle. Each year, as the program advanced, the company required additional backing to maintain momentum for its research. The team took what they described as a door-to-door -door sales approach until things changed dramatically in 2016. As a part of its Series A funding, the company was fortunate enough to get a grant with the ALS Association and ALS Finding a Cure, partially funded by the Viral Ice Bucket Challenge. With $3 million to fuel its clinical trial, Amelix was able to move forward, gaining credibility and earning additional support from mission-focused investors like Morningside, the ALS Investment Fund, and Henry Tamir. Then came the hardest part of living up to the expectations of investors and the ALS community. You know, it's both unbelievably exciting when you get um, positive data, but it also puts a pretty heavy responsibility. And, you know, suddenly we're the company holding this positive data that has to deliver 
for patients. And if we make a misstep, then it's not just us who get um, you know hurt by that misstep, but it's tens of thousands of people. And so I think um, the other challenge really has been the the kind of pressure that adds in terms of you know figuring out you know you really want everything to be perfect at every at every step at every juncture and that's hard especially you know doing it rapidly as well so i think that's been the other maybe main theme of the last um, couple of years is how do we maintain and pursue perfection while also recognizing that people are this is a really rapidly progressing disease and every day hour minute counts and you know we can't waste weeks or waste months um, and getting this drug to people as quickly as we can. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I imagine these circumstances make scaling quickly a top priority for the company. How have you managed to balance this pursuit of perfection, as you described it, with your motivation to keep the tightest timeline possible? I guess I'd say that we've kind of approached most problems in a similar way of asking a lot of questions and finding some really good people. So I'd say really for all of those challenges, um, we've sought people in the industry and outside of the industry who have built, whether it's manufacturing processes, whether it's regulatory processes or um, experiments or or otherwise, and just ask them a ton of questions. Uh, You know, Justin and I have been accused of, you know, having meetings cross the prescribed hour or otherwise, because we just kind of keep asking questions and try to keep um, learning. One of the things we've learned through this process, frankly, is even nine years in, just how much we don't know. Um, You know, we've learned a lot in nine years, but this industry is big and wide, and there's always more to know and always more nuance to know. And so I think the, the biggest recipe for success really is just to stay curious, keep asking questions, keep talking to people, and surrounding ourselves and surrounding the company with really, you know, thoughtful, curious people as well. That's why uh, be curious is one of the Amlex core values. Because oh. uh, Josh and I wouldn't be here if we didn't ask 10 million questions. And, and just one other thing I'd highlight is I think Josh's points extend to uh, the groups we work with as well. And I'd certainly put Charles River Labs right up there as, you know, one of the partners who's been with us through thick and thin and through many different stages of development. And I think for a small company like us, it's so essential that those groups are really an extension of our company. Uh, They have uh, capabilities that we don't people that are experts in the field that we're looking at. So I I think that Amlex could not exist if there weren't groups like Charles River Labs who can support us all along the way. Another benefit of collaborating in the greater scientific community is the synergies that can occur as a result. As we discussed in earlier episodes of Vital Science, groundbreaking discoveries do not occur in a vacuum. New therapies build on those that have come before, be it through direct repurposing of an existing drug or by learning from the studies conducted by fellow researchers. In the case of AMX35, the Centaur trial has proven to be a springboard not only for the treatment of ALS, but also other neurodegenerative diseases, such as Alzheimer's. And from what I understand, some of the preclinical trials we conducted together found that AMX35 may also have some value for other neurodegenerative diseases. 
Can you tell us a bit more about the Pegasus study and what you hope to accomplish there? As I was saying before, the mechanism of AMX35 is to target neuronal death and degeneration pathways. And that's not specific to ALS. That's, as you said, Gina, true for so many other diseases as well, each of which is a tremendous unmet need and has uh, unfortunately touched the lives of just about everyone. And so one of the first other uh, diseases that, that we were looking into uh, is Alzheimer's. And it actually goes back, we ran some of our very first experiments with uh, our friends in uh, Coapio, Charles River Labs, Finland, and showed oh, wow. potential benefit in mouse models of Alzheimer's disease. And so in the Pegasus study, which was our, our nickname for our Alzheimer's study, the, the challenge is how do you how do you run an Alzheimer's study that doesn't cost hundreds of millions of dollars, but can help us understand the drug's potential in, uh, in the population? And so we ran a small study, about 100 people uh, and six months treatment, funded by almost completely by the Alzheimer's Association, the Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation, and the Cure Alzheimer's Fund, which we're very, very grateful for. And we looked at all manner of different outcomes, but I think what we were hoping is that we could learn about the drug's effects in the brain, because uh, while in a short period of time in a small study, it may be hard to look at things like cognition, what we can look at is what's happening in the brain. And so I think what we were really excited about is we did indeed show that the drug hit some key biomarkers in, uh, in Alzheimer's, um, including amyloid and tau, the two canonical markers. So now we're working with key opinion leaders to discuss uh, what the next steps might be in Alzheimer's, as well as uh, how we think about clinical development and other diseases too. Because again, some of these markers like tau are shared across many different unmet needs. Uh, and so we want to try to efficiently get to people where this drug might be able to benefit. I just maybe add from a kind of high level, our goal is pretty clear. You know, we want to help, you know, as many people as we can, as quickly as we can. And so, um, you know, along those lines, we really do want to advance AMX35 in, ad in additional indications as quickly as we possibly can. And I'd also add that I think we're, you know, very committed to the ALS community and are kind of here to stay as well. So all stuff that's still kind of in early work and early discussions, but also very much want to continue improving on what we're able to offer um, in ALS also. It's amazing to think how together these two small molecules could be useful in treating multiple neurodegenerative diseases. How did this idea originate? What made you think to combine these therapies? I mean, basically, um, <laughs> we, it was um, mechanistic initially. So we had kind of mapped out in our view how we thought that, you know, what pathways were involved in neuronal death. And what we found was it wasn't just one pathway. It was multiple. And so we looked and said, well, these are probably the two most critical pathways. And the only way we could see to target them was with two drugs. Now, I think there was maybe an advantage to naivety too, because I think 
most experienced developers would say, well, developing two combo at the same time is going to introduce all sorts of challenges, which it did. But um, we had no idea that that would introduce any sort of challenges. It just seemed like the logical thing to do. So I, I think back to our discussion last year, and we focused a lot on two guys in a dorm room um, <laughs> when where you were, you know, eight or nine years ago. How have your the values for Amelix evolved since then, since those early days, or have they pretty much stayed the same? I love that question. Well, I, I'd say I think we got wonderful advice from some of our advisors, which is that. Uh, the values should be true to who we are. And at the time we wrote them down, Josh and I and our, our colleague Kent were, were the only people in the company. So uh, so we sort of looked around and I think Josh and I really tried to think about how did we, any success we had, how did we get here and what did we want to build and what did we want to have uh, hopefully speak to future colleagues. And that's how we came up with our values. So just sort of listing them quickly to be audacious, uh, curious, engaged, accountable, and authentic. And I think if I look at those words, I think it really speaks to who we are. And some of them can contrast, but in ways that I hope are, are true to us. So for example, to be audacious, but authentic. I think Josh and I like to dream big. It's how we started. But Josh and I are also, I don't know how else to say it, probably allergic to bureaucracy. I, I, uh, I don't think we'd last too long in a big company with sort of a very classic uh, corporate hierarchy. Yeah, and, and I just add to, they, they very much come out of that dorm room <laughs> experience <laughs> as well. Um, you know, particularly ones like Be Curious, I think comes, you know, very much from, you know, the fact that we had to, you know, learn everything. You know, we started knowing absolutely nothing, um, and there's still a ton to learn. And I think we want to encourage people that, you know, it's okay not to know everything. It's okay to stop and say, you know what, I, I really don't understand that, or or otherwise, because that's that's how we get better. That's how we learn. And similarly, I'd say the um, being accountable, being engaged. Um, for a long time in the company, it was just. Justin and I, eventually Justin and I and Kent. And so no task was too small. You know, whether it was um, buying stamps for mailing various things <laughs> to mm -hmm. um, figuring out the strategy for our upcoming experiments or otherwise. And so that I think that's part of how we think of kind of being accountable and being engaged in terms of everybody pitching in, everybody rolling up their sleeves. Nobody's saying, you know, I have this big title, I can't. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to stoop and buy the stamps or something. You know, it's it's everybody's in it together. We're all fighting for the same thing, and it's we're all trying to help out. I have to add that I think stamps are probably particularly both near and dear, Josh, to your heart, but also maybe some PTSD because for many many of the early years of the company, Josh, among other things, would handwrite every check and handwrite and mail every letter. And so Josh developed wow. this like amazing system of how many stamps we needed for for what packages and bills <laughs> and uh, probably probably a skill set, Josh, that you're you maybe are happy now that you don't have to use anymore. But if anybody 
needs any <laughs> advice on uh, on mailing stuff, Josh became uh, an expert just because who else is going to do it? <laughs> I love your humility. You both are are just such a pleasure to speak to. You're very down to earth and real. And a lot of the times when I hear you speak, it's about patience. What motivates you? What motivates your team? to push for the solutions of uh, people living with neurogenerative diseases like ALS? You know, it's, um, we have a lot of calls that it's hard to, or, or, you know, used to be in-person meetings, but at this point, mostly calls and Zoom, where it's hard to walk to end the call and not want to, let's say, work till midnight or 2 a.m. or whatever it might take you know, to kind of, to kind of keep pushing ahead. I mean, just to give an example, um, you know, we were talking about the data release. Um, shortly after the data release, the Mass General folks threw a kind of small party to celebrate. And um, one of the nurses came up to Justin and I and said, you know, typically in an ALS clinic, one of my main jobs is to talk to people about the fact that they might only have a few years left and, you know, and what they might do, what how they might best preserve function and kind of maintain their, maintain what they have. Um, but that, you know, these are usually really tough, really difficult conversations. And the nurse said, you know, when you guys announced positive data for one day in the clinic, all my conversations were about how ALS is changing and how it might be different than it, than it is today. And it's little things like that, that you kind of, it's hard to then go home and say, you know what, it's been a hard week. I'm going to, you know, close the computer for, for some hours, you know, you, you quickly, at least, at least for us, I think when things like that happen, it just makes you want to kind of redouble efforts and push a little harder and keep fighting. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, that's, that's certainly one of those, uh, moments that again, will stick, stick with us, I think our whole lives. And I think, you know, one other thing Josh highlighted is not only do we meet and get to work with, just the most amazing patient advocates, but it's also the people who have dedicated their lives to helping people with these diseases. And for us, we, we, we often say waking up in the morning and feeling motivated is, is, is so easy because we get to work with uh, people who have dedicated their lives to trying to help. And for us to get to partner with those people is just wonderful. And I think one other thing we found with ALS and neurodegenerative diseases is that in the face of these really tough diagnoses, you just see the most amazing strength and community and just the really best in people. And while it's so hard that people have been given this diagnosis, the people who then become the sort of warriors for those who maybe have harder time knowing what to do or speaking are just extraordinary people. Maybe the only other thing I'd add is we also get inspired a lot by our team. I mean, oh, I think yeah. we're, we're really lucky to have just a great team. And there is something really quite neat as the company's gotten bigger that just to see what everybody's accomplishing, the passion everybody's bringing, things like the the NDA, where everybody just kind of completely gave it their all to make it happen, um, that's quite inspiring too. Um, and so I think um, 
we've also just been really lucky that the team that's come together behind this. Oh yeah. Could not agree more with that. You're also very open and generous in talking about all the partnerships and collaborations and, uh, you know, the ecosystem around you that has enabled the progress to happen. And I just think that says a lot about kind of your approach and um, the core of the company. It's, it's really um, wonderful to hear. Thinking back, and, and if you could talk to the you of eight years ago, what would you say about where you and the company are today? The first thing that comes to mind, first of all, I don't think Josh and I in a million years could have guessed that <laughs> we'd be where we are today. I'm not sure we knew enough to know that we could be in this place. But uh, I mean, I think that the first thing I'd say is just to do it. I think that we feel so lucky that we get to do something every day where it's really interesting. We work with amazing people. And at the end of the day, if we're successful, we help a lot of people who need it. And I think that in a way, I almost wouldn't want to talk to myself or ourselves almost nine years ago now, because I think it was part of that curiosity and learning that helped us develop into who we are today and, and who Amlex is today. So I guess I'd say that um, the journey itself has been amazing. And I just feel so blessed uh, to be in the position we are. And but that being said, we also hope it's just the start. Uh, there's a lot of work to do. The treatment, we're really proud of the data, but it's not a cure. Uh, there are many other issues that I think we want to solve beyond just delivering new treatments for people. So hopefully uh, eight or nine years from now, we'll, we'll be having this conversation with you again and uh, sharing all the updates on that. It's a tough one. I mean, you know, a lot's changed. A lot's also the same um, in the sense that the challenges we faced while starting the company were quite challenging. The challenges we still face are always, um, you know, all consuming and there's always more to do and kind of everything like that. You know, I've often said kind of in this, um, you know, in kind of biotech, you do kind of have to be a bit of an optimist. Unfortunately, most drugs fail. And so you kind of have to take a view of, you know, taking it step by step, bite by bite, and rolling with the punches a little bit. So I don't, you know, to Justin's point, I don't know that I would want to give too many hints of, you know, of what's ahead. to my mm-hmm. you know, eight or nine-year-old self, but maybe rather just provide advice on the next two months of, <laughs> of what's to come. Because it, you know, when you think about it as a whole, it, it can be pretty scary. But when you think about it as you know, a few months and you know, a few um, key work streams, key, key goals, you know, I think that's how you get you know, those key goals start stringing together into, as you said, nine years later, you know, a lot's been accomplished. One of the silver linings of having worked through the challenges of AMX 35 is that Josh and Justin are now intimately familiar with the unmet needs of the greater ALS community. And ever the optimists, this has not daunted them. It has instead inspired them to see their work in a larger context. Their research began with the goal of introducing a novel ALS therapy in the US, then Canada, and Europe. But now they see that their treatment has the potential to benefit countless patients around the globe including the Middle East, Asia, Latin America, and beyond. 
but their aspirations don't stop there. They hope that AMX35 will be a platform that allows Amelex to go beyond delivering this one treatment to improve the timeliness of ALS diagnosis, bolster funding for clinical research, and build out a pipeline of therapies that will eventually lead to a definitive cure for ALS and other neurodegenerative diseases. We were asked at one point, what, what really is the kind of overall goal? Like, what's, what's the point? And um, at the end of the day, the goal is to cure these diseases. You know, having meaningful treatments is critical, and that's the first step. And, you know, really can't be overstated how important it is that, um, you know, that treatments come around that make people, you know, retain function longer, live longer, things like that. But at the end of the day, the goal is to, to cure these diseases, and that's going to take a ton more effort. It's a tough nut to crack and um, one that we want to be pushing full speed ahead on. Well, your optimism has served you well so far, and I have no doubt that you'll have much more to report on when we sit down next. Thanks so much for bringing us up to speed on the new and exciting things happening at Amalex. Well, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having us back. And as I said, I, I hope we get to keep doing this and uh, we'll, we'll keep pushing. Thank you so much. Josh Cohen and Justin Klee are the co-founders and co-CEOs of Amalex Pharmaceuticals. Wishing our listeners a great 2022. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.